was, without a doubt, the worst episode ever. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. Good morning, and welcome to episode 179 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh with Sam Miller. Uh, Sam Miller has a topic that we are going to talk about. I have not been apprised of this topic. <laughs> What's the topic? Barry Zito and why he should sign an extension. Ah, okay. This is related to a question we got, maybe, possibly? It's related to something in the ether. Okay. All right, go. So, uh, do you not have a topic? Oh, should I? Are we doing two topics? I, I mean, I thought that's what we do. <laughs> do we? I don't know, I don't know Ben. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> do about this show? Uh, should we, fig- we should hash out what this show is going to be. Yeah, probably. Uh, all what, right. do you, what do you think? Do you like the two-topic idea, <sighs> the, the two-topic format? Did you enjoy it last year? Uh, I mean... It's more pressure on both of us to have to think of a topic every day, and we both enjoy not having to do that. But it's – see, my theory on the the whole show, my theory from the beginning was that if we have a, a, a show that is short enough that, um, that we can – that there's not too much pressure to talk deeply mm-hmm. about any one topic, that it actually takes the pressure off. That basically, like – it's like instead of running, you know, a long race where you have to pace yourself, you just you're running one lap and you can run you can go all out. You can leave it all on the field because everybody can run one lap about anything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we're doing two topics, then that's half as much time that we need to actually talk about any one topic and True. Yeah, somehow we have managed to do one topic shows that are as long as the two topic shows were. Uh I don't know why we've done that, but it's probably my fault. Um, I guess we can we can do two. We should probably do two. People would like to. Do you think people would like to? Yeah. We should probably just do a couple more episodes on what we're going to do, because that would that would be interesting. Um, yeah, let's do two. All right. All so right. I'll talk about I'll talk about the Royals. All right, the Royals. Okay. So um, Barry Zito uh, has an eighteen million dollar option for 2014 with a $7 million buyout. And so since about 2007, that has been, in everybody's mind, a $7 million buyout. There was very little chance that the Giants would ever consider picking up that option. And I don't know, there might still be very little chance that the Giants would consider picking up that option. However, that option fully vests if Barry Zito throws 200 innings. And uh, so Barry Zito might throw 200 innings. He has not yet thrown 200 innings as a giant, which is kind of incredible and tells you a lot about Barry Zito. Uh, But he has thrown 199 innings. And he's, I don't know, you sort of get the sense that this year he he could do it. He's off to another hot start. Uh, He's in a much uh, less deep rotation, so there's not really a, a, a way to kick him out of the rotation if he struggles mm-hmm. uh and uh it just seems like the difference between 199 and 201 is small enough that you could really envision him reaching it and then the giants would have to pay the entire 18 million dollars so i think that it's time right now for the giants and the and barry zio to sit down and figure out an extension for 2014 that guarantees him a contract in the neighborhood of maybe $15 million or something like that. Because I think it's going to turn into a real messy thing if Barry Zito um, 
get starts getting close to 200. I mean, the fans, I, I think fans generally in the Bay Area, they like Barry Zito as a person. They like the way he's handled things. He's, you know, he's been a good teammate. He's been a humble teammate. He's more or less done what's asked of him. Um, but, you know, he's a disgusting, toxic asset to have around. And it's been, it's been really depressing to have him around all these years. Um, and I think that if you start getting to the point where that option looks like it's going to vest, it's going to be a really distracting thing. People aren't going to, you know, want that thing around. Uh, and, it, you know, it could be an ugly August. And you, you don't want to necessarily incentivize the Giants to screw around with Barry Zito's innings. If you need him to pitch, then you don't want the Giants to be second-guessing themselves. If you don't need him to pitch, if you find that Barry Zito is pitching poorly and you want him out of the rotation, then you don't want to have this weird extension situation look like it might be driving it. Mm -hmm. Because then, you know, maybe then Barry Zito gets mad and starts squawking. I mean, the Giants started Barry Zito in Game 1 of the World Series last year. So it seems like it would be hard for them to say a few months later, well, we just we lost faith in you completely naturally, and it has nothing to do with this, this contract uh, option. So I think one way or the other, it could be a sort of awkward summer. Um, so you might as well take care of it now. Now, he's, it seems like there's a pretty good chance he's going to reach 200 innings anyway. And so the Giants, uh, you know, are probably going to be stuck overpaying some for Barry Zito. It also seems like maybe Barry Zito at what is essentially $11 million as is for one year, because you, you are the, the option, the, the, the buyout is a sunk cost. Mm -hmm. So $11 million as is is not actually the worst thing in the world. And the Giants it, it might actually like the idea. I mean, they clearly like Barry Zito more than the general public does because they let Barry Zito start game one of the World Series, etc. Um, but, I mean, if you're talking about a, paying for a two-win pitcher in a free agent market next year that looks really, really, really shallow for starters, and for a team like the Giants that has really no option beyond Zito and Lincecum, I mean, they, they're very shallow uh, in the upper levels for starting pitching, um, it might not actually be a thing that they would hate to do. Uh, so... Yeah, I think it'd be uh, it'd be a nice way to handle things. Yeah, I, it's kind of incredible that we're talking about this. I guess, I mean, this would have been... When is the last point at which this conversation would have been inconceivable or, or unpredictable? I mean, probably before... What, before the playoffs last year? Would we have thought that this is something that the Giants would consider? I mean, uh... or I, I guess before kind of the the downfall of Tim Lincecum and the and the pretty okay performance of Barry Zito lately uh it would have been a lot harder to imagine i guess yeah i think certainly like september 1st of 2012 it would have been unthinkable mm -hmm. there was no there was no idea that he was going to uh be back in the club's good graces at this point there was probably really no shot that he'd get 200 innings, I think, at that point. I mean, the thing about Zito is that he to get 200 innings is not all that easy. With most starters, 200 innings just means stay healthy and start 32 games. But Zito is a combination of bad and, and pitch inefficient. And so it actually takes two things happening, maybe three things happening for Zito, 
to get to 200 innings. And so it wouldn't have really looked like a, a realistic threat. I mean, if he couldn't throw 200 innings when he was 29, it didn't seem like he was going to throw 200 innings when he right. was 35. So are we are we uh, putting too much weight on his recent performance then, possibly? I mean, um, is well, there that much? I mean, he's had, what, two starts and hasn't allowed a run yet, and he pitched well at the end of last year. But if we're saying that that basically six weeks or so of pitching ago, uh, we wouldn't have considered this or we wouldn't have thought the Giants would consider it. And if he hasn't reached that point, I don't know. I mean, I guess I see what you are saying, certainly about wanting to diffuse a, a potentially awkward conversation that could be or a situation that could become distracting. But I guess, I, I don't know, maybe we're kind of overrating the odds that he will actually make it to that point. Uh, yeah, I, I and I don't want to suggest that I think Berezito is any better now than he was three years ago. I think mm-hmm. he's still he's still terrible, um, and he's not a pitcher I would particularly want to have around. I just think that um, that right now that one of the shifts is his that his his role in the rotation is more secure than mm-hmm. it's been for a few years, um, and uh, partly it's I mean it's a it's a it's a better pitching environment than the league as a whole was a few years ago. I mean, probably. Who knows how this year will play. But uh, it's a better pitching environment, which might, you know, if, if it's if it's easier to pitch, you get a couple more innings. Uh, that's the difference between 199 and 200, or between 197, which he threw in his first season, and 200. Um, and so it just seems to me that it's uh, the odds are not bad that he'll get to 200, whether he's better or not. Uh, and and in fact, if I had to put the odds at something right now, especially I mean you know seven and seven in his first two starts, it's it's obviously it's a long way to two hundred, but it's a it's a good step along the way. I mean I probably would put the odds at something like sixty percent that he gets to two hundred this year. Well, we know that if the Giants score uh, what four or five runs for him in a game, he's a, yeah he's uh, five thousand and <laughs> right. no in his career. So that will help. Uh, who's the next guy on the rotation depth chart if if Lincecum continues to be bad and or if Zito starts being awful? Who's the who's the next guy who gets the call? Seriously, I honestly, don't totally know. Yeah, um, but I think it's you. I think it's Yusmero Pettit. Petit. Yeah, so someone will have to be pretty bad to get knocked out of that rotation. Exactly. Well, and Lincecum might get knocked out right first yes. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it's very it, there's very 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 little chance that he gets knocked out of the rotation at this point. Mm-hmm. So unless he gets hurt, or well, honestly, uh, that that might be the end of that sentence. <laughs> yeah. So if you're giving him 32 or 33 starts uh, between now and the end of the year, I don't know. Okay. It's just weird. It's so weird to think that I'm proposing very, that. Very weird. <laughs> Um, and 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 it's weird too because there's like you see Dodgers fans now that are kind of like excitedly looking at the possibility that Zito might get his contract mm-hmm. uh, vested, and uh, yet it could end up being a thing that the Giants are like yeah, sort of happy about. Anyway, mm-hmm. all right, that's all. Uh, okay, well I don't have that much to say about the Royals. Uh, the Royals are in first place as we are recording right now. They are six and three. Uh, they have scored 43 runs. They have allowed 28 runs. And 
I was feeling optimistic about the Royals before the season started. Uh, I picked them to finish second in the Central, just sort of because I felt like they had more upside than any of the non-Tigers teams, um, and that given their age and the number of guys that they've had who maybe were projected to ultimately be better than they have been so far, uh, I thought maybe they could take a, a sizable step, or at least were more likely to, um, than the other non-Tigers teams in the division. So, so far, uh, things have gone according to plan, or according to Dayton Moore's plan. Uh, uh, kind of, though? I mean... Well, I mean, the offense is, is basically a Royals offense right now. It, it has one of the, the lowest on-base percentages and one of the highest batting averages that is... Kind of what we've seen from the Royals in recent years, but but they've pitched pretty yes. well. I mean, the the guys that that they were depending on to pitch pretty well, who no one really except the Royals seemed to believe would pitch very well, have pitched very well so far. Uh, Wade Davis has has made a couple starts and has looked pretty good. Urban Santana has has made a couple starts, and I guess one was not so good and one was very good. Uh, so on the whole, he is looking very good. Um, Jeremy Guthrie has had a couple solid starts, so has Shields. Uh, and Luis Mendoza has had one good start. So, I don't know, there's not a whole lot to say about that. It's, I don't know, 50 innings or so, probably, between all five of those guys. Uh, and there's no particular reason to expect that to continue or, or to be more confident that it will continue than we were two weeks ago. Uh, but so far the Royals are kind of following the blueprint for how a Royals team would, would compete. Uh, except that, well, I mean, there's, there's Moustakis is, is not really hitting and Hosmer is not really hitting. Uh, so in that sense, is not really hitting. Yeah. yeah. So this is a question maybe that I would have about this and and let's imagine uh, right obviously right now we're talking about samples that are too small to draw any conclusions from so let's just imagine that we're having this conversation in May and everybody's numbers are basically the same as they are now and the Royals are in first place Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, they're doing it with good pitching from pitchers that we didn't really believe in and they're not getting any of those breakout offensive performances from the hitters that uh, we thought might get breakout offensive performances it seems to me that that the plan for the Royals was to get just barely adequate pitching right. and have a whole bunch of hitters break out at once. So if that's not the way that they're winning, uh, does that make it less sustainable to you, or uh, does it not matter? Does it does the composition of their victory matter in terms of analyzing how real it is? I guess it does, but I guess there's always the possibility that it will start happening at any point. Um, so if it hasn't happened a month from now and the Royals have, have managed to win anyway, just by kind of getting better than expected pitching or maybe fluky pitching and the offense has just been kind of okay. Uh, the guys who I sort of expected or thought there was a decent chance would improve significantly this season could conceivably do that, could still start doing that at any point, um, I mean, basically, I'm I'm going to believe that players like Mustakis and Hosmer and Perez. I mean, and Perez really hasn't struggled offensively in the past. He's just sort of been hurt. Uh, but I'm I'm basically going to believe that those guys are on the verge of an improvement until 
we've seen otherwise for maybe a couple more seasons. So I'm still going to be kind of optimistic about those guys taking a step forward. So if we get to midseason and they haven't done that yet, uh, but they've managed to remain competitive with some fluky pitching, then I guess, I don't know, I guess it would be more likely that the pitching would regress uh, and they would be kind of bad the rest of the way than, than the offense would break out as a whole and, and balance that out and either improve or, or stay consistent for the rest of the season. Um, but I don't know. I, I just kind of have a feeling of optimism about the Royals. And I don't know, when you looked at, uh, what team did you look at with the, the number one farm system and you looked several years ahead? The, yeah, the 2004 Brewers. Yeah, and it was, uh, I mean, I don't, you only looked at that one team, so we don't know what the typical return for a, a number one farm system is. We don't know that 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 Brewers team that had a number of players become stars or very productive players. We don't know that that's typical, but just looking at what you did and looking at that team compared to the the bad Astros farm system that you also studied, I don't, it just makes me optimistic that that a team with that kind of farm system uh, will ultimately get a lot of production out of it. Not necessarily this season, but I am still sort of a, a believer that this group as a whole will will become a competitive team. Uh, and I don't know, I, I guess I'm I'm slightly more optimistic about that than I was two weeks ago, which I probably shouldn't be. I'm just falling into the, the trap that we were talking about last week. Yeah. I uh, I feel mostly like you do about the Royals, except I don't find this their start to be particularly encouraging for the reasons that I kind of hinted at. I if they were uh, if they were staying on the path that seemed likely to lead to victory at this point, I would, like if Hosmer and Masakas had four home runs each and they were winning, even though Santana had been pretty mediocre and, and Wade Davis had been mediocre, then I would be like, "Yep, this is how they win," and I would think that uh, it was you know, probably reasonably likely to continue. At this point, I don't know that there's any relevant information that we've we've learned, except that Hosmer and Mistakis have not come out gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they're uh, as good a shot as anybody. So, quick, quick, quick uh, Chris Carter update. Uh, okay. Uh, so, Chris Carter, uh, when we recorded our show two nights ago, through seven games, had a 192 slugging percentage and a 340 OPS. Uh, 36 hours later, he has a 568 slugging percentage and an 857 OPS. <sighs> almost like these early season stats don't mean that much. Yeah, almost. <laughs> All right, so we'll be back uh, tomorrow with the last show of the week and two new topics.